Hey brokers, it's Mark Summers, president of AIM. I'm excited to announce that I will be the new host of AIM's podcast, Broker to Broker. If you haven't listened yet, Broker to Broker dives into the nitty gritty of the mortgage business by interviewing independent brokers and loan originators, just like me. Download today, available on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Broker to Broker podcast, a full brand new episode. Really looking forward to this one, as always. My name is Mark Summers. I'm the president of AIM. But before we get started, uh, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to, to this podcast. And I'd like to give a big shout out to the sponsor of today's episode. Uh, that is AFR Wholesale. They are a 2021 sponsor of AIM. So if you want to learn more about them, please email our team over at partnerships at aimgroup.com. Once again, that's partnerships at A-I-M-E group.com for more information of this uh, of this great sponsor that AIM has. So we're going to hop right into it today. Um, I'm going to be interviewing the broker owner of Black Diamond Mortgage, David Boy. So David, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Good deal. Good deal. I know you've done, I know you've done quite a few things for AIM. So this, uh, this should be pretty darn easy for you. I know you're well respected in the community. Um, I think the first ever, it wasn't a podcast, but I think it was a video. I think you're like one of my first two or three guests on it when we did the, I can't think of what the name of it was now, but kind of same, same theory here. So, but uh, once again, thanks for joining us. And, you know, as we get going here, I love hearing how you got into this mortgage industry. So give us a little background on yourself. Yeah, you bet. So never thought about being a mortgage broker until um, about when I got into it. But I was working at an engineering company and doing like their business development and their accounting and stuff like that around 2005 and had kind of reached my income ceiling there and realized that if I wanted to make some money, I was going to have to try different job opportunities. And around that time, I found a, a mortgage brokerage. A guy was running an ad saying that you could just become a loan originator. And so I went and checked it out. And he basically broke down to me a very simple formula. If I sold a million dollars in mortgages in a month and the house got 2% and I could have half of that and I would make $10,000 a month. And I was like, that's way better than what I'm doing right now. How hard can that be to sell a million dollars in mortgages? And so I uh, actually like to tell this story, but I went uh, hiking where, where I live in Montana. We all go hiking like people play golf. And uh, we were hiking. And I was talking to a financial planner and I said, I'm thinking about quitting my guaranteed paycheck job and becoming a mortgage broker. And what do you think? And I expected him to tell me not to do it because it'd be commission and risky and dangerous. And he said, well, if, if everything blows up, who do you think is more likely to guarantee you a paycheck, that boss or you yourself going out and selling a loan? And I was thinking, you know, I think I could sell a loan if my life depended on it. And he's like, then it's not that risky. And I was like, oh. So that gave me some courage. And then I went and quit my job and uh, signed up with this mortgage broker. Roll forward just a little bit. And as I started working for him, this was in the subprime days. I didn't even know about subprime. So I rolled in the door and, and I was the type of guy that if I went to apply for a mortgage, I would hand the loan officer two years taxes and bank statements, thinking that he needed that before he asked for it. And then I find out that no one does loans that way. You, uh, in fact, you get turned down by the client 
if you ask for any paperwork. So <laughs> learn real quick that there was a whole new thing going on. And, um, but the guy I was working for was not providing any value at all. So as soon as I started working for him, I realized that I could run a mortgage company way better than he could, uh, roll forward a little more and the whole thing blows up and I'm sitting there and I'm getting ready to start black diamond mortgage. And right as I'm filing the paperwork and all that, the industry for all intents and purposes appears to be dead. There's, you cannot find anybody who wants a mortgage. Everybody who has a mortgage can't refinance. So devastating time. My lowest year to date is still 2008. And I opened my business right after that as I rolled into 2009. <laughs> Good timing. Yeah, <laughs> terrible timing if you're trying to know that everything's going to be okay. But looking back over the last 15 years, it was great because what I had to do to get through uh, that time period and getting on to where we are now actually kind of solidified my success but it was yeah terrible it was very hard to sell a mortgage at that time uh, most of the lenders that we were doing business with prior to me opening my shop didn't exist anymore um, i had to work with basically one or two lenders that were willing to work with a new guy and then obviously uh, put in a lot of work and the market started to improve a little bit and just navigated all the challenges and changes um, started to grow a team after about 2011 and uh, right now we're black diamond mortgages uh, depending on how you count uh, eight to ten employees and last year we originated 360 loans and we we believe that we are the best place to get a mortgage in montana that's that's awesome yeah so uh, so when you started that out you were kind of a singular person at that time correct like you just did everything on your own yeah. Uh, I, in fact, I wouldn't have wanted an employee because I, I don't think I could have guaranteed their paycheck. Um, but, you know, down the road, I started to get some success. And I remember one critical threshold for me personally was when I got to where I could make $100,000 a year, I started feeling like I, I needed to start thinking about how I could make more than that. And it was hard to break above that without getting some help. And so really that was one threshold of when, when do you go for another person in the office, you know? And so for me, it was like, I need to break above that threshold and I don't have any more time to do anything. So I need help. So, you know, I started by hiring a processor and I actually went through one or two attempts at it before I got a good one and learned as I went. But I ended up hiring a young gal that was about 20. And what was really fascinating about when I hired her, she's a high integrity girl that got recommended to me. And at the time, my motivation was that she was inexpensive. But because she had high integrity, I would tell her what to do and how to do it. And then she would do it exactly the way I told her. And I was just awestruck that I could have this happen. And so then I got motivated and I was like, okay, try this. And she would do it. And then I realized each time I handed these tasks off that I no longer had to do them anymore. And so that would free me up to go do other things, you know. So, you know, around that time period, I went with one processor. And then as, as she became successful, then I felt like I could hire another loan officer and guarantee them a good processor that I had trained. And so that was how we got to get more loan officers was by having a team in place that they could count on. And then now roll forward to now we have, uh, I have an operations manager, Maria, that a lot of people in AIM have met. She uh, basically 
is in charge of everything. And then um, I've got two processors and there's about five loan officers and we have a, a compliance person. And all that's just kind of grown over time with me wanting to offload things that are on my desk. And, and then, and then uh, we were talking in the pre-call. Uh, one of the things that I think is very important for growing a team and becoming successful is when you do get that time, you need to go grow your business more because you want to be able to successfully pay these people and, and have that volume you need to, to keep going. Yeah, you just can't you just can't say, "Oh, I have free time now and go mess around." Yeah, and then uh, another thing that we do that I think is good strategy is we personality profile everybody. And so earlier on, I was probably hiring for all the wrong reasons, but now I will not hire anybody unless they they don't need to have any qualifications other than they have the right personality profile. And because what I've learned is, you know. Probably everybody is similar, but like the way I do mortgages is the way I do it. It probably doesn't look exactly the same as all my competitors uh, because I own the company and it's the way I want to do it. And so I need people that work great with me and that fill these roles very specifically. Um, so I, doing a very good personality test and, and identifying what features you want those people to have uh, really sets you up for more success. And, you know, example is uh, our head processor is this gal from Bulgaria and she works really hard and she is amazing at doing the things that processors do. Um, she's not good at some of the other things that we do down here at Black Time, but but she can like work, you know, 20 loan approvals on her desk and get clients motivated to turn in tax returns and turn in bank statements. And I've even had clients call me and complain about the foreign person that's asking him for something. And I will let them know, I'm like, hey, let me give you a scenario. I go, imagine you're, uh, I go, my, that lady you're talking about, she's from Bulgaria. Uh, imagine that you are in Russia trying to get back into Bulgaria. And, and, and uh, Adelina is the one that you want to get you back into Bulgaria. And she's just asking you for a tax return right now. You know, when I paint that picture, they like giving her the paperwork afterward. But that's a hard job. I hate that job, the job of gathering paperwork. And ever since I gave it to Adelina, I don't have to do it anymore. And she does a fantastic job of it. So just that type of thing, you know, getting the right personality and, and somebody that likes doing it too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and I know you're, you're, you're big with AIM and we've been, we've been promoting, you know, growing your business, uh, whether it's with your, you know, type of people you're hiring or how you're hiring them. But, you know, it, it's a it's a scary task to take on. I, I think it was scarier for me to hire people than it was to start my own shop. You know, what I mean, so with you kind of doing the same thing here, what what do you think was the biggest roadblock that you had to overcome? Uh, one of them that I wrote down was hiring people for the wrong reasons. So, like, you, know, you might have a family member or um, somebody that needs a job. And, and you're looking at them and going, I want to help that person. I think those are terrible reasons to hire people. So you're really looking for somebody that um, is going to show up and hustle and they got the right reasons and it's going to it take some weeding out. And so, I mean, what you said is true. Like, it's scary. And I, I hate it. Like, I hate hiring people because I'm worried about um, once I hire them, I feel like I owe them a paycheck. 
And so I guess the biggest thing I would say is, is be ready to fire quickly if you make the wrong choice and don't look at it as a bad decision. You know, it's for that employee's benefit that you guys work well together. And so, you know, have the courage to do it, uh, plan to experiment, plan to fail. It's probably like when you take on a new type of lending and you're going to take on a new loan product that you've never done before. It might not go well the first time, but after you master it, it's going to improve things. And so with hiring people, from my perspective, um, I'm just laser focused on fulfilling a specific task and um, making sure that I have the right people that I want to work with. Uh, one one thing I'll tell you is I, I was just recently doing a loan for a, a guy that was a dentist and he built his practice and then he went to sell it and he accidentally sold it during that 2008 meltdown. And so he kind of went through a little bit of a depression. And after he and I talked about it for a long time, the thing that really bothered him the most was he found out after he sold his business that the thing that brought him the most joy every day was going to work with his team because he had built the perfect team. And so if you look at your team like that, like these are people you want to go spend time with every day and you're going to want to work with them and they're all in it together with you, then it kind of is a little bit different than giving somebody a job. And so you're not you're not looking to solve all the world's problems by providing employment to somebody. You're looking for somebody who's going to be on your team and help you get things accomplished. And and uh, it is hard. So I think the main thing to do is to be very shrewd about how you make your decisions and, 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 and then plan to fail and then get better at it. Yeah, no, I, wow. You just, you just brought me back because I played uh, and it wasn't big college basketball or anything, but I played college basketball and uh, you know, when I've had people ask me like what I missed most about it, it wasn't the games. It wasn't the practice. It was like my teammates. I mean, those, you know, going on road trips, that was like my most favorite thing about it. So no, that's, no, that, that relates well back to me. Um, okay, so I'll tell you a problem I had, and I want you to guide me on this one and guide all of our members that are listening here. Uh, when, when I was hiring people and whatnot, I hated giving up control. I hated it. You know what I mean? So how, did, how did you go about delegating tasks like, like, and just letting go control? Um, yeah, I, it's a little easier for me. My personality profile, if you read it, actually says that as soon as I can figure out how to hand something off to somebody that I'm happier. And so it's it's kind of a cool thing for hiring people. However, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I will just tell you that the number one mental block is they have to be allowed to fail. And so that's where I would if I were just to go on to brokers are better today, I'll probably see somebody on there complaining about somebody doing a bad job about something. And that's like something we all struggle with. We're doing mortgages and they're hard and there's tons of mistakes that need to be made. So the way I look at it is I want them to own the mistake. I want them to feel the pain. I've, a lot of times I'll have them call the client, not so much to, um, like if a mistake is made, not so much to have it be not me, but them. I just want them to be completely owner invested in getting this thing done. And so when I hand them stuff to do, like, you know, they make mistakes. Um, you know, one of the common ones, I think all my loan officers have always done when they first start is they lock a loan BP instead of LP. And they got to figure out what they're going to do about that. You know, no, no, no commission. So they, they got the low rate and then they realized it was because they weren't getting paid, you know? And so then what do you do? I mean, 
you got to call the client, you got to potentially do the loan for free, you know, but if you learn uh, what happened, you'll never do it again. And right. so the goal with an employee is that the thing that they're doing for you, you don't have to do it anymore. So every time that they make a mistake, you want them to own it. You want to support them in the solution and then get them into a position where they don't want to make that mistake ever again. And now they know why. And, and so I guess I'm okay with mistakes. And I kind of assume each time I hire that we're going to start fumbling some stuff, but I'm looking way ahead of that. And I, if I hired the right person, I'm going to go the journey with them. And so there's things I don't even know how to do. Like, I don't know how to order a 4506 T right now. I haven't done it in like six years. I have no idea how it's done. I mean, I could figure it out. I could totally go in and get it done, but I, I don't do it. And right. I hear them sometimes struggling with it. And uh, so I think allowing people to screw up and being okay with that is where it's at. Yeah. You know, and a lot of our, a lot of our customers understand that too. A lot of our consumers, they understand it as long as you're upfront and honest with them about, Hey, you know, I have a newer person doing something. I mean, they're everyone, everyone's been there. But the reward is awesome. Uh, this last year really uh, set me up for where I want to be. Um, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and we had the coronavirus. And I had so much going on personally that it was not going to be possible for me to do my record year and be doing everything. So I, the most reliant on the team I've ever been was this last year. And each time I just handed it to the team even in a more dramatic way than I ever had before, like now that we're in 2021 and because we went through all that, the team just rolls with it. Like they just take the loans and sometimes the customers don't even know me and I'm the loan originator, you know? <laughs> and, and that, I mean, I've got all the right people involved. I might've called them for a second, but, but it's, they, they actually have a better relationship with some of the team members. And that's awesome because I want to be able to go take my daughter to the prom or something, you know? So. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Okay, so now you got this new team here. How do you create a team dynamic? How do you create your company culture? Um, we do a lot. Like one thing is we're all really, we allow people to come in and tell us what's going on in their life. And it, it does take away from time. But at Black Diamond, I mean, everybody knows what's going on in everybody's life. So if somebody's having a bad day or something, we try to get it out there. Um, we... Um, we definitely, I give people some time off and um, we have like a company party twice a year. Um, I think the main thing is uh, we, we are very open and honest and transparent with each other and we're very invested in each other's lives. So I think that culture needs to be created. You know, it needs to be the case that everybody's allowed to have their life and work. And I think Corona helped all of us do that a little bit because everybody had to do a different version of that. Like at our company, I had to make a decision with eight of us, like, do they have to come to work? And Montana is more loose, but still everybody took a different option. And, and then their, their life around that was different. And uh, so I guess personally, I just think that the way you do it is you foster, you, gen you develop genuine real relationships with each employee. Yeah, no, I I, I, I pay really well too. I'll be honest; some of the numbers I pay are pretty shocking to people outside the industry um, because I feel like I get it back. But. 
Yeah, no, that's as as long as you feel there's 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 a gain there, then by all means, yeah. I never look at, bad upon anybody for doing that. You know, like with with my with my employees, you know, I, I'm always you're right. I'm I'm involved in their lives. We, you know, if their kids are having a soccer game, baseball game, we try to get there. And I've told every single one of them, like, if you have to leave, you know, work for your kids' basketball game, go. You just gotta let me know in advance. That's all I care about. You know, and and I pay them for that too. Just go. You got to be with your family there in these times. And then one thing we do is we say, if you touch it, you own it. So I've heard other people say that at AIM, but like if a loan ends up on your desk and you touched it and you did something until you get it handed off to somebody else, you own it. And so if everybody believes that, then you probably have the right people working for you. That's a great way of looking at it. So Love your team. I love I love how you started and how you built it. So now we got to get into your business here. Okay. So let me see here. How do you what would you say your biggest way of of, of gaining businesses? Is it through realtors? Is it not? Is it just your book of business? What what what's the black what what's black diamond mortgages way of going going about this? Yeah, so it's never fit my personality to go out and court realtors. I've done it and I've you know, I do a little bit of it, but what really has worked for me was to brand ourselves. And I think it went all the way back to when I created the company. Our slogan is the experts in real estate finance. So my thoughts are that you need to have uh, diverse sources of uh, referrals. And so since I've started, I, I track every deal. Where, where did I get it from? And I generally track about 10 categories. And to me, like I look at other sources being just as beneficial. I, I don't look at realtors as owning the universe. So I get um, deals from banks. I get deals from CPAs. Um, church is a source of business. I've never gone into church and said, hey, send mortgages to me. But I have a relationship with all the people that I go to church with. And a lot of them come in for a mortgage or their friends and family do. Uh, sports. Uh, we sponsor lots of things locally. Uh, so the way I look at it is I'm, I'm uh, builders are a good source. And actually right now it's starting to open up again. I, I had a huge builder uh, referral situation going on prior to the mortgage meltdown. Then it kind of backed off a little bit. And I'm noticing right now because uh, there's like shortage of homes out there, the banks don't always take care of the builders. And so if you just kind of get to know builders and find out what their pain points are, um, usually the smaller builders, not the biggest one in the valley, you know, or biggest one in your community. But some of the guys are just trying to do like four or five houses a year. Um, they need somebody they can trust and they don't trust their banker that much. And so the bro broker can be that guy. So anyway, having a lot of different sources and then um, just being active in the community. I, I went ahead and brought this just to show, but this is a little plaque I got from the local chamber of commerce. And mm. it says in uh, 2013, I was the ambassador of the year. And oh, so that was because I was I was going to all the things and shaking everybody's hand through the Chamber of Commerce. And that year, that happened. And then this is uh, 2019 business of the year. And that year, we bought um, tires for needy families. And actually, AIM uh, participated and bought a set. And uh, we ended up just inventing this thing where we went and got tires for families and all that to be said is one thing I've learned is um, you want to pick things to get involved with where you own it. 
And so um, I one time was having lunch with a banker president and I was asking if he was going to sponsor the local parade of homes. And because when you get the magazine, every bank is in there. And he goes, no, I'll never do that. And I said, really? Because all the other banks are in there. He goes, that's exactly why I won't do it. He goes, I'm only going to do something if I own it. And, and that, that really stuck with me. And so an example one time is there was a local group trying to build a bike path and they were looking for sponsors and they weren't getting any. And I knew one of the guys that was running the committee. So I gave him a sponsorship amount that ended up being the biggest thing that they had ever got. It wasn't a lot of money to me, but they weren't having success getting sponsorships. So they had their big event and it was like the black diamond mortgage, you know, event. And uh, sure enough, somebody came into the office and they said, yeah, we decided to get our mortgage here because we just think that was so great that you sponsored that. And the reality was, is if I was doing that with every other lender in town, I wouldn't have stood out. So in your community, you can definitely pick things where you stand out. And I think that's a good way to do it also is to be involved in the community, but also, you know, don't compete with big money. There's plenty of things you can do without doing that. Yeah, no, I mean, I know that I hosted a panel at Fuse and it sounds like you we probably should have invited you as well. But, you know, it's like doing things for your community. You do it, you do it without wanting anything in return, but it always comes back to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, after you, you got to put your time in. So nurture every client, nurture that database. Um, you got to do what you got to do when you start. But as you go, grow and make sure that every customer that's ever passed through your grips is going to recommend you and all the other people involved. And, you know, the longer you do that, the less you have to go around and ask for business. It's more like just taking care of customers over and over again. I, I don't really do that anymore like go out and ask for business i really just live my life take care of people in the community take care and like you say i'm not expecting anything in return um, but it it absolutely comes back and so um new loan officers they'll always ask me where to get business and they'll they'll do the things but really it's just building a ground game and i had a uh i've always had a metric that's pretty good but if you have three to five hundred people that if asked who they should get a mortgage from would say you, you probably have a big enough database to feed you uh, just by having that. And so day one, you're trying to build that database. So you got to start with number one and get up to three to 500. I've, I've never heard. I like that though. No. And I'm just, I'm doing numbers in my head right now, <laughs> but no. Okay. So if, if you're pretty big in the community and you have a lot of different resources, I can only assume that you use social media, correct? Yeah, social media is great because it's free. I do put a little money into it just to boost it out a little bit, but we, we're we very public. And I think getting back to when you're saying culture and stuff like that, like most of my employees are very public about their lives and in, indirectly, you know, they're mortgage people. So you're on social media, not really pushing mortgages all that much, but you're just building this huge database of people that... Um, you know, easy things you can do is like wear those t-shirts and stuff when you're out and about that say, you know, brokers are better. I love, I was getting a coffee literally on Saturday morning and I had my, I love mortgages shirt on. And the lady started talking to me because of the shirt and I, I was not selling her a mortgage. You know, I was literally just talking to her about more and, but here we are talking about mortgages, you know? So yeah, social media is kind of like that where you're just doing your stuff. The mortgage is kind of in the background. Uh, one of my employees uh, uh, 
Maria, the operations manager, she she has like a health thing that she's doing for herself and she's very willing to be open about it. And she just has this huge following of people that are interested in it. And they also know that she works at a mortgage company. So it's like their their thing that they're interested in is her talking about her triathlons and her health stuff that she does and all this. These are things that she's doing anyway. And then they know she's mortgage. And so as soon as it comes up, they're coming to Black Diamond. So, Yeah, no, I, I man, I, I'm, I'm so with you on this, with what you said there's, you know, just subsequently they are mortgage people. You know what I mean? Because when I, when I'm on social media, which sometimes I'm on it too much, just, it's just the nature of the beast. But at the end of the day, you know, like when I see people trying to sell right away, even if they're my friends, I, I scroll right past it. I don't want, I don't want to be sold on anything, especially on social media. I want, I want to know about the people and then you're right. Subsequently, they're going to come to you for a mortgage possibly. Yeah, it's a trust transaction. And I think we all know that if the client trusts you, then it's pretty easy to sell the mortgage. And if they don't, it's so hard. Like, it's so hard to sell a mortgage to somebody who doesn't have a reason to trust you. So if they get to know you on social media, you know, or at a Chamber of Commerce event or at, you know, your your daughter's uh, school events, um, then the trust is already there. So now when you go to talk about the mortgage, there's just so much less diving into details and as soon as you can get out of the details the better your experience you're going to have selling a mortgage so. yeah now when, when it comes to social media do you use do you use all forms or do you focus on one or the other so far we're still just instagram and facebook so you know instagrams uh, you know we'll just post the both um, i know there's better stuff we can be doing we're so busy right now but we we do try to push out stuff um where we post a picture and a comment or whatever. Um, well, I think we probably do more personally and then just a little bit of business. And so I think, honestly, I have more success with relationship management on just being active on social media personally than pushing my business page. But I absolutely do both. But I just noticed that I'll tell you my worst nightmare on Facebook is when somebody goes onto Facebook and they say to the whole world of Facebook, who's a good mortgage broker? And then everybody starts filling it in and then you get in there. And so like somebody says you, and then everybody's debating it in there, you know, and, and like all of a sudden you're in there and it's like this insanity. And those people tend to be the worst clients ever. <laughs> the ones that the ones that don't know a mortgage person and so they go onto facebook and they just fling it out there and they get like 40 options and then everybody's battling for that one so to me that's that's the worst the best is is they're not doing that they just already know that it's us and we're not in that environment does that make sense no that makes that makes perfect sense i know i know exactly what you're talking about right there all right. So, okay. So you're big into your company and I absolutely love that. I mean, as we all should be, that's kind of a dumb comment on my end right there, but I see something in the background. We didn't get a chance to talk about this. What does that say? Hashtag the black diamond effect. Yeah. So that's just kind of for social media. That's been good for us. So we, a couple of years ago came up with the black diamond effect. And so every closing we would hashtag it and we would put this, we have the clients hold that sign. And uh, I've actually had clients, you know, look, they're like, Hey, I can't wait to get the closing and, and, and do the black diamond effect, you know? 
And then, you know, the black diamond effects kind of evolved. It's like a thing, you know? And so like when we're having a good experience, I'll, I'll say to somebody, you know, that uh, we're giving you the black diamond effect because like everything's going well and I'll just tag it and call it that, you know? So our company's black diamond mortgage. And so we um, have kind of built a, you know, our own little uh, social media hashtag and uh, just put it wherever we can. I got Anthony Casa right in the Black Diamond Effect one time. You didn't know what was happening to him, but I wrote it on a sheet of paper and made him hold it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I like that. I don't know what I'm doing here, but here it is. <laughs> yeah, I have a picture of him holding it. And, and then, you know, but yeah, I, and honestly, AIM's been great for us as a group. And so just the more name recognition and just anything to create name recognition. So um, if you look at the biggest companies out there, uh, they're keeping their marketing real simple, you know, like Coca-Cola, it's just Coca-Cola plastered on the side of the wall. That's all you get, you know? So this, as you're building your brand and as you're, you know, try to get your brand to be something so simple, uh, that it's easy to remember and it says something, you know? So. Yeah. So, you know, and I know we didn't talk about this before, but I know you're, you're, you're pretty, on on cue with everything what's uh and i've never asked this question before what's your what's your most favorite thing about aim i i would say the community of mortgage brokers and i, and I put a little context to that because that's what everybody says but um when we were talking about how did you start your mortgage company i, I often refer to my mortgage company as being operated out of a bunker from 2008 till 2013 like i didn't talk to anybody and I didn't trust anybody. And actually my competitors, I hated them all because, you know, everybody's saying bad things about everybody. And it was just a dog eat dog world from about 2009 for a while. And so I didn't trust anybody, honestly, in the mortgage business. If you told me you're another mortgage broker, I, I trusted you less <laughs> at that time period of my life. And then, uh, when, 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 uh, uh, brawl started, I, all of a sudden, found this group where all the people in there were people that I identified with. And I, you know, I, when you were talking about that first broker to broker, we did a long time ago, that was uh, me and Skylar Welch. And I'd never met her before. I met her through this. I still don't really know her, but I feel like I know her. Right. And we, we actually communicate on Facebook sometimes, you know? And so having this community is just insane. And so when you say, what's my favorite thing about the group, it's like, um, I'll give you a couple of quick examples, but during the coronavirus, lending seized up for a couple of days, right? And and like if this were happening in 09, that would just be me freaking out, calling lenders, seeing what I could do. But instead I had brokers like, here's what you do about this. Here's what you do about this. And my time to solution on problems during the uh, March corona meltdown was like hours instead of days and weeks. Um, I had one broker reach out. I put on uh, Brokers Are Better. I was having trouble getting VA loans originated. We probably all remember that. Some of the lenders were just like, ah, VA, can't do VA. And you're like, what? You know, VA, that's the Veterans Administration. Like, and, and so, like, not everybody did it the same. And so I just mentioned the problem, and I got reached out to by a broker. He's like, try this. And I was able to navigate a month of loans that I might not have originated had I not got that tip from the broker in the AIM group. And, and I have hundreds of examples of things like that where, um, and we're not competing against each other. Uh, we're, 
you know, like Mark, I mean, I trust you. Like if you could call me with something, I'll tell you exactly what you need to know. And I have zero fear about you using that against me. So it's just, it's given us the ability to all work together and uh, it's, it's great. Love yeah. it. Yeah. My, my, my favorite thing. And, you know, and I do quite a few presentations and whatnot it, and you're, it's exactly what you're saying right there. If this was four years ago and you were a broker down the street for me, you were my enemy. I have no idea why, but <laughs> you, you were just my enemy. So no, that's what I love about this community is that we're not fighting against each other. Um, and we're, and we're just helping each other out. So that's perfect. So David, I got one more question for you, then I'll let you get back to, you know, this hectic time that we're in here. And once again, I do appreciate your time. So if, you know, you're big into the community. A lot of people know you. What would be one piece of advice or what what's something that you would like to tell the community, whether they're new and upcoming or they've been a veteran for a long time? What what piece of advice you want to give to our community? Well, to the broker community, I was thinking about something I just don't hear all the time that has really benefited my business. I'll give you two examples. But in addition to all the lenders that we partner with we need to be true brokers and i recommend that everybody have like a regional lender that they can work with and i'll give you an example but when i first started and i was a one-man shop um the hardest thing to do at that time and this was back in uh 09 was va and fha and all that stuff was kind of hard for brokers to do and i had a, a regional lender that serviced like 10 states and they worked with wholesalers they kind of nurtured me through that. And, and basically now I don't have any problem doing that. Like when I sign up with a lender, I can do VA and FHA and it's, it's easy. But back when I first started, those were like tough areas for me to grow my business. And then more recently, uh, like again, last year when things were blowing up everywhere, uh, some of the regional banks didn't have the problems that the national wholesalers did. And so I, I have some partnerships with all the big names that we all love. And I, I do like those lenders the best, but having a regional gives you some, a couple of things. And like one of them is, is most of the regional ones are, are actual banks. And so sometimes they'll do crazy things. I'll, example would be like um, uh, post closing condition. Um, you're like, Oh, that's horrifying. But what if you closed the loan and your realtor, everybody was happy and there was one stupid thing that they were waiting on. And because they were a bank, they just went and got it after closing. Like, I can't do that at certain lenders, but these regionals, sometimes they do stuff like that because they just do it differently. They're smaller and they're, so uh, a tip would be get your big three that you love and master that. And that's going to be where you, you run your business. And then as you grow, like get some of these other things and, and figure out how to use them and get some lenders to partner with that are, that are regional. They also help with things like, um, you know, uh, in your in your region, there might be some things that only you see. And if you're working with a slightly smaller company, they, they can build something around that. Like in my market, we have these affordable housing things that involve weird deed of trusts and stuff. And I've only got one lender that'll do one of them, you know, and I had to build that relationship over time and years. And so uh, advice to other brokers is while you're doing all the big stuff that we all talk about all day long, build some of that niche stuff within your business. It's going to help you be an expert mortgage broker. No, that's great. Yeah. As, as you said right there, you know, it allows you to become a true broker. That's perfect. That's perfect. So David, listen, I've taken up a lot of your time. I appreciate everything, you know, that, that you talked about today. Um, appreciate what you do for our community. So I just don't want that going unnoticed. So thank you for being here with us today. 
I'm all in frame. Keep it going. Thanks for all you're doing. Oh, you know what? I absolutely love it. It's just, it's easy to be passionate about this business in my eyes. So now once again, thank you for being here. So, and everyone else, thank you. Uh, you know, thanks for sharing. Uh, I'm sorry. Thanks for being here today with us so we could get into David's insights. So, and brokers, if you want to get caught up on all of our past podcast episodes, please head over to aimgroup.com backslash broker to broker. You can listen to all of the broker to broker podcast episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcasts. Do me a favor, please. This was a great episode. We need to let David know about it. So please rate our podcast and leave a review and please subscribe to it. It helps us get the podcast out there and spreads the word that brokers are better. David, once again, thank you. Thank you. Spread the word about the Brokers Are Better movement by wearing our t-shirts. Head over to aimgroup.com to buy your Brokers Are Better t-shirts and find lots of other items perfect for yourself, your team, and your community.